Hey everyone, my name is David Waldy, and I am what many people refer to as the fierce empathy coach. I'm super excited to dive into this conversation with John all about relationships and revenue. This is Relationships and Revenue, the show where real answers come from real discussions about what holds men back in their relationships at home and in business. A better bottom line at work means improving life at home. This show is all about helping you become a better entrepreneur and a better man. Welcome back, everyone, to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast. This is your host, John Hewlin. And as you heard from that wonderful introduction, I have the one and only David Waldy with me. David, how are you? John, I'm doing fantastic, brother. I'm excited for this conversation, and I'm honored to be here. Well, thank you. I am glad that you chose to spend some of your hard-earned time with us. And so let's dig in. Folks, if you don't know David, and I will be honest with you, Prior to a few months ago, I didn't know David. I was introduced to David through a mutual friend, and so I'm awfully glad that I was, which is why he's on the show, because I think he has a lot to say in general, but specifically to all of you. So David is a coach, he's a speaker, and when he does both of those things, he empowers entrepreneurs, leaders, and small business owners to live life with fierce empathy so they can work, excuse me, so they can win at work and home. Does that yeah. sound about right, David? That sounds about right in a nutshell. I like it, John. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's dig in a little bit. Let's get David's backstory because I think that's really important in understanding anybody who comes across as some sort of an expert. And I don't care what you're an expert in. It doesn't matter what it is, but we need some context. What, who is David and how did you become who you are today? It's a, it's a great question. Um, I'll start with this. I'm a Kansas farm boy at heart. I grew up in the Midwest, uh, hardworking parents. My dad was a veterinarian. Mom was a teacher. And uh, I grew up feeling what I, I thought, as many of us do, was just a normal childhood. You know, there was, uh, there was a lot of stuff that I went through that it wasn't until I was an adult that reflecting back on, you're like, oh, okay, that was kind of a big deal. I probably had an effect on <laughs> <laughs> the version of me that I became, but uh, just very much in love with the outdoors. I grew up around, you know, horses and cows and just playing outside. I, my my childhood was very much that of Opie Taylor, where I'd wake up in the morning, I have a fishing pole on one shoulder, BB gun on the other shoulder, and away we go. And I just go spend the whole day out in the fields and uh, hunting and fishing and and doing that whole thing. And so when I was uh, about 14, just before I turned 14, my family moved to Florida. And ended up living just outside of Tampa. When I graduated high school, I had worked uh, worked really hard, but I was you know I was never the smartest, never the best, never the fastest. But I graduated with a full ride academic scholarship, which I turned down. I actually decided that uh, based on my friends and network and different things like that, and a lot of a lot of reading and studying, that it was not the path that was for me. Uh, I did not see a return on the investment. Uh, I am all for higher education, but I believe that the intent, purpose, and context is very important. Uh, for example, I don't want a surgeon who went to the school of hard knocks operating on my body. <laughs> I'd like for them, <laughs> right? Um, so I think that I, I think that education is important in the right context. And and yeah. um, but for me, 
I always had this this uh, obsession with with personal development, with growth, and a lot of that came out of a love for reading and the outdoors. Because as a kid, my parents would require that for every uh, every hour or two that I spent outside, I could uh, outside or reading, I could earn TV or video game time. And so during the summer months, I would spend like eight, nine hours outside and I'd accumulate a couple hours of fun time that I could reserve for the evening, you know? And so it, it taught me a lot about work and reward, even though that wasn't necessarily working, it, it caused me to fall in love with, with reading in particular and just nature and the world that we live in. Mm. And that led into, uh, into adulthood. There is, there's a period, I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit. There's a period from probably 20 to 30 where I call it my dark ages. I didn't know what was up and what was down, how to make sense of life. I, um, during that period, probably the only thing that I can say definitively that I'm, I'm, I'm proud of and that I love, and I'm so grateful for is, uh, my, my marriage to my wife. We're, mm-hmm. we're coming up on nine years. We've got, uh, three beautiful babies, uh, one in heaven. And we, we unfortunately had a, a miscarriage, but mm-hmm. again, that's more the story we'll get into, but, I was just a normal dude, man. I was just a normal kid. I felt like uh, average, just just life. But it wasn't again until I started to uh, to really become a young adult where uh, things started to get real. I had believed that uh, to some degree, you know, I wanted the American dream. I wanted the uh, to be successful, whatever that meant. And so I learned a lot about modeling through reading. I, I always loved learning. I loved growing. I loved expanding. But this thing around uh, around personal development, it always dovetails with entrepreneurship. It always had. I felt like every time I'd read a book or I would like learn something, it was from someone that had built a movement, built a mission, built a, uh, built a nonprofit or a company or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was always these individuals. But for me, John, I was terrified of entrepreneurship. And I'll tell you why. When we moved to Florida, just before I turned 14, I didn't know at the time, but the reason that my parents had moved was to save their marriage. My dad was an entrepreneur. He was one of those ones. He had his own veterinary practice, but he worked 80, 90, 100 hours a week, always on call, constantly gone. He'd be gone before I woke up in the morning. He wasn't able to come to many of my games. He wasn't, you know, he was an incredibly hard worker, but he was incapable of being present with me in the times as a kid. You know, you just want your dad. You just want to be with dad. And so growing up, I started to have this resentment, not necessarily towards him, but just towards like, towards anything to do with entrepreneurship, because that was my frame. That's how I saw entrepreneurship. If you're going to go be an entrepreneur, you're going to sacrifice your uh, everything that matters, <laughs> that really matters, on this this you know uh, glorified altar of whatever success is. And so coming out of coming out of the um, out, of, out of high school and then walking away from my scholarship, I decided I wanted to go into an internship program. It was called South Carolina School of Leadership. It was around strengths, personal development, interpersonal communication, uh, leadership all these different components, which I felt like were useful to help me to, to learn and grow and expand. But during this time I worked, I've been in sales since I was, you know, basically like 16 years old, a bunch of different sales jobs. And so I built my career in sales. And by the time I was in my mid twenties, I had achieved quote unquote, the American dream. I was in uh, senior leadership in a sales role, generating millions of dollars a year in sale in sales. And I had the glass corner office, the company car, the company credit card, the house, the kid, all of the stuff, all of the trappings. 
I was 60 pounds heavier than I am right now. I was constantly anxious. I dealt with regular suicidal ideation. I absolutely hated myself. I was working 70, 80, 90 hours a week, um, just insane. And it all came to a head uh, probably about four or five years ago. And that's where everything started to change. But that process of really, I love that we're going to be talking about relationships, being carried through that process and to lead to where I am today to where, you know, I've had tremendous blessings and privileges. I've shared the stage with people like Tony Robbins, Russell Brunson. I've been able to, uh, to speak into the, the lives of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people around the world. I've been able to coach and train people from over 40 different countries. Uh, I've built a number of different businesses and different, different veins. And I'm to look at who I am now relative to who I was and what was going on in my life. I'm excited for us to kind of unpack that a little bit because I realized that if it wasn't for the relationships in my life, there is no way that I could have come out of that, let alone be where I am today and completely different human being to where now I, I absolutely love life. I am full of joy and peace and contentment. I have so much, um, not, not as far as like, uh, to me, material possessions, uh, they're not a, they're not that big of a deal to me, but time and time with my family is. So I have breakfast, lunch, and dinner with my kids. I dance in the kitchen with my wife at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday if I want to. Uh, I have the ability and the flexibility now because of a lot of work and pain and difficulty of really recognizing that entrepreneurship was the very vehicle I had been avoiding when I was building my corporate career that was going to help me become the man that I wanted to be. And it changed everything for me. Wow. Man, that's a that's a heck of a story, and I'm sure you just kind of scratched the surface. On, <laughs> I tried on to that, <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine. That is totally fine. You know, I I never want any of my guests to feel like they have to share more than they're comfortable with, or when they feel like they want to honor everyone's time. So thank you for that. Yeah. You know, I want to dig a little deeper on a, a few things. Uh, first of all. How did you get to the point where you were okay going into business for yourself? Because it seems like seems like you might have had a lot to work through in order to get there. And that may play into what was going on in that decade between 20 and 30. Yeah, it was... Um... It was a lot to get through because I was one of those people that I, I was, I've always been an obsessive learner. And that's again, why I mentioned, like, as a kid, I fell in love with reading. I'm so grateful to my parents. It's something that I've adopted as well for my kids is that, uh, I, I fell in love with reading and learning and growing because every time that I, and I still in this way, John, I, I don't know if you feel the same, but every time I pick up a book, I realize how stupid I am. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like I how ignorant I am of certain things in this world and how yeah. the beautiful thing about books is it's literally the distillation of all of the brilliance, the failures, the pain, the difficulties, the challenges, the successes, the breakthroughs of that individual who took the time to write that down and to give that as a gift. Mm -hmm. And so this process, what led me into entrepreneurship was a combination of a few things. Number one is that I had, I, I that period of probably roughly 20 to 30, 
was obsessive knowledge and intake and learning and growing and expanding. But the way that I love to describe it is this, if you're standing still, you got two feet planted on the ground. The best way I've come to visualize this is that if you, if knowledge is your left foot, right? Mm -hmm. That if you're constantly learning and growing and expanding and you're just infilling and you're only ever using your left foot, you will go in circles over and over and over again because i was never engaging my right foot and the right foot is this little thing we call action mm, mm -hmm. i was learning and learning and learning but i was not applying any of the things like i had all the right answers for everyone else but none for myself for whatever reason and it was simply because i was self-sabotaging. I wasn't taking any form of action. And so this combination of learning and growing, expanding of, of being able to recognize how much is possible for us in the world that we live in, that dovetailed with a relationship from actually uh, this, this woman became a mentor of mine. She, um, she'd been a longtime friend and she came to me while I was, you know, working in the company I was working in. And again, I'd been uh, put into a leadership role that I actually didn't want. It was actually one of the mm. very frustrating things in my career because I had been straight commission sales. I love sales. I've always loved sales. I've always believed in getting paid for performance. I love that. Um, and growing up and working in different odd jobs that were all in sales, they wanted to transition me to um, to a, a senior role where I was going to be managing the team and doing all that kind of stuff. And it's mm. not something that was ideal, but uh, in the course of about six months, I had a $40,000 pay cut. My wife and I lost a child to miscarriage, and I found myself in one of those Hollywood scenes where you're in the giant conference room, and the big dogs are on one side. And the little guys on the other side. And I was that other little guy. And I was cursed at and berated and almost dehumanized while I had to be. Uh, let me just suffice it to say there were some things that had happened in the business that I found out about that I went to the ownership about and it backfired big time. Mm. I believe in integrity. I believe in being someone of honesty. And I believe that when there's things that are going on that shouldn't be going on that directly affect other people, like we got to do something. And unfortunately or fortunately, depending on your perspective, it backfired. And so I was in a very tumultuous season where my job was on the line and I had, you know, my, we had just purchased a new home. I got a brand new baby at home. You know, my, my wife and I are a few years into marriage. We're figuring things out. And my entire life came to a head where I was like, I just, Again, overweight, anxious, just stressed, constant, all of it, just hating life, hating myself, not wanting to look myself in the mirror. And this friend of mine, she approached me and um, I kind of knew what she had done and what she had been working on. She's very high level in an, a, a well-recognized international business. And she approached me, she, she said, David, I'm developing this coaching program that I want to submit to our executive leadership team, but they require five case studies. She said, it's actually going to end up being a $300,000 coaching program. And I would love to give it to you for free if you'd be willing to be a case study. Wow. And I was like, what? Are you, like, I, I, number one, I didn't really know much about coaching and what a coaching program was at that point in time. Sure. But 
all I knew was that this, this woman was willing to invest in me, some time and energy into me. And, and if, if anything, I needed someone that could help me because I didn't know where to look. I didn't know where to turn to. I didn't know what was, what I'm just existing, just living, like just trying to figure stuff out. Sure. And in one of our earliest meetings, we're sitting at this little Mediterranean restaurant. We're eating a bunch of delicious food. I think shawarma is the only word I can pronounce. Um, <laughs> that, <laughs> It's one of those, you know, on Main Street where you got the glass windows and the cars are driving by. And I was just sitting there and she looks at me and she says, David, who do you want to become? Mm -hmm. Now, John, I, it, it doesn't sound like a revolutionary question, but for me in that moment, I don't think I had ever heard someone ask me that, that question. And so like chaos disrupts inside of me. Like there was a combination of, <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question. And layered on top of that was like, I don't even know if I'm allowed to answer that question. Mm -hmm. I, I, th that, that's not my job. That's God's job. That, that was my beliefs. Like God's right. supposed to tell me what I'm supposed to do with my life. I got to find my calling, find my purpose, find like why I'm here. And I had lived in this state for almost a decade of just anger and resentment and frustration and pain because it seemed like everybody else on the planet knew something that I didn't. Mm -hmm. Everyone else had like, oh, I'm going to go be a doctor. I'm going to join the Peace Corps. I'm going to join the military. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm like, everyone's like, what do you want to do when you grow up, David? I have no flipping idea. I have no idea. I don't, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. But when she asked me that, who do you want to become? Mm -hmm. It set off something inside of me, John, that started to change everything. And in that conversation, I started to be able to, over the series of months, start to recognize that my life and everything around me, all of my circumstances and situations were just results. And they were simply an extension of who I was. I was manifesting, creating these things in my life. And it was all because of my identity and who, how I saw myself and what I believed about myself and the actions I was taking, because that's who I was. Mm -hmm. And so during this conversation of the series of a couple months, she approaches me and she's like, David, do you realize, do you realize that you and how you approach sales is something I've like never seen before? Like, what are you talking about? She's like, you know, your strengths test and my number one strength, John, is empathy. So empathy is at mm -hmm. the top, connectedness, inclusivity, adaptability, and input. All of these are very relational things. And as a kid, number one, I, I took the Clifton Strengths Finder to take it three times over the course of almost 15 years. First time I took it, I was 15 years old. Every time, top five strengths, exact same, never changed. Mm -hmm. But as a man, the context for the word empathy for me was was like uh that was a <laughs> that was a sissy strength gotcha. <laughs> we'll call it that oh yeah and so i yeah. was so resistant to it because i was like that's not a manly thing what the heck like give me something like competition or whatever you know or motivator and she said the things in your life that you are resenting and that you take for granted are actually your greatest gifts and she said, the way that you approach sales is unlike anything that I've ever seen before. And she's like, do you feel like you're good at sales? I'm like, no, I don't feel like I'm good at sales. She's like, well, the numbers don't lie. I'm like, I know, I know, I know, I know. I had become a top 1% producer in this $400 million a year company. Mm -hmm. They started having me coach and train the highest performing salespeople. And that's where I cut my teeth on coaching. And all along, I'm thinking like, I, I, I mean, I enjoy sales, but I like people like sales is I don't feel like I'm good at sales. I don't know all the closing tactics and all the methodologies and how this is how you got to do da, 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 da. She's like, how you 
teach and train people how to sell in the way that you do. She's like, do you realize that if you took this to the marketplace, how many people it would help because everyone has been in condition to believe that you have to use this method all and I won't name drop here, but there's a lot of big name salespeople out there that they're, it's their way or the highway, right? Oh yeah. He's like, you do realize you could literally create an incredible, beautiful business serving and doing exactly what you're doing within your company, but you can serve millions of people. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to do that. There's no, I can't do that. I'm not an entrepreneur. And then you come, you, you pile on all of the fear right. of entrepreneurship. Sure. And she challenged me and she said, why do you believe entrepreneurship just has to be that way? Why can't you make it whatever you want it to be? I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, if I become an entrepreneur, like I'm, I, I, I am giving up my life. Like I will have no free time. I know that I will, I, I will be committed to this thing. And she said, why do you believe it has to be that way? I was like, well, because that's what happened to my dad. Okay. That's what happened to my dad. That's the model that I have. And, and so she challenged me over a series of months. And so I, I actually, um, I decided to start taking some action on all of this knowledge that had been rumbling around in my brain. And I started continuing to, to learn, but I started applying. And so I started my first business after hours, I would work all day. I'd come home be with my daughter and my wife. And from like, 9.30 until 1 a.m., 2 a.m., I'm just grinding it out on the computer, trying to figure out how do I start an LLC? How do I set up a business bank account? How do I do marketing online? How do I like learning, 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 learning? And then before I knew it, I realized that everything that I've been doing after hours, I actually had like a full-blown business model. I knew it was something that I could run with. And mm -hmm. so I started acquiring clients that I was working with after hours and I was somehow grace of God able to kind of juggle the two until um, I decided that I was done with my corporate job. Mm -hmm. And I decided to walk away and I was absolutely terrified. It was uh, a couple of weeks before my second kid was about to be born. So very volatile time, you know, Oh yeah. and to walk away from, you know, $140,000 a year, and everything everyone said you're supposed to want to make you happy right. to just say, yeah, you can suck it <laughs> and walk away. <laughs> What's really interesting about it, John, is that on the day that I turn in my notice, and this is not a, an exaggeration or, or a lie. The day that I turn in my notice is 4.57 PM. I turn in my notice at the end of the day. I, you know, it was, um, I think it was a Monday. Mm. 4.57 p.m. I'm walking to my truck. Yes, I snuck out a few minutes early. You can slap my wrist. I didn't stay till five. I should have stayed till five. I'm getting into my truck and I get a ding on my phone and I look at my phone and it's an email from Tony Robbins and Dean Graziosi inviting me to join one of their speaking teams for a brand new program that they were launching, a whole new business that they had. And without getting into too much detail over the series of the last six to eight months, I had been taking action just like my mentor had said. And there had been a random email that came through that I saw that was an application process. Well, over the course of that six to eight months, I had submitted like 12 video interviews applicate, but this was a pipe dream. This was this thing that was like never going to happen. Mm -hmm. But the day I turned in my notice, at 4.57 p.m. that day, I get an email saying, please report to Phoenix, Arizona for speaker training in three months. Uh, we're going to send you around the world with this speaking team to carry the message and mission that we have for this company. You've been accepted. You are one of 20 people that will be a part of this team. 
Wow. And so I cried, I laughed, I screamed, I freaked out. I was like, what the heck? Like, this is one of the biggest <laughs> names in personal development, everything like that. You've got to be kidding me. How is this real? And that led to a whole series of events um, that I ended up being able to do some incredible work with them um, prior to COVID. And then when COVID happened, there was a lot of adjustments, ended up starting another business that got contracted to do some consulting work, program development for them, which was really amazing. Mm. And um, over the course of time, just building my own stuff, building my own you know, programs and, and dreams and visions, and then getting a lot more into to speaking and training and working with people and mm. uh, to where... To where I am today, where a lot of my time is spent serving um, serving in those capacities. So I work with a lot of CEOs, entrepreneurs that are, are looking at scaling. And most of the frame that I do it through is this, this philosophy of fierce empathy. So I do a lot around confidence and identity and who we are. And all of that, John, has simply come out of that journey, like you said, of all the pain and all the baggage, all the frustration. And there was so much in those years that had to change inside of me. But that one question, who do I want to become? That mm -hmm. set the stage for completely transforming my life and uh, brought me to where I am today. And I hope and pray it'll be the continuation of that is helping people recognize like it's possible. You just have to decide who you want to be. And here we are. Well, you know, I, I got to say your, I'll call it your first coach. I'll call her your first coach she actually did you a huge favor on on multiple fronts but <laughs> one, one, one of the biggest ones i think and and you didn't spend a lot of time with it was talking about your style of sales mm -hmm. you know because anytime prior to the age of 45 i'm 52 mm -hmm. prior to the age of 45 if i heard the word sales immediately my brain went to you know those horrible tv commercials that are home almost homemade almost yep. you know with some skeevy looking guy with yep. this thick you know porn type mustache on and wearing mm. these god awful clothes <laughs> selling you you know something that's a piece of crap uh and and just smiling yep. the whole time thinking he's doing you a favor yeah you know, it feels sleazy. It feels slimy. It just, you feel gross just for watching it. Yes. Let alone going down there yeah. and checking it out. And so that was my impression of sales for a long time. Yeah. And when I finally understood what sales and marketing are mm -hmm. and what they could become, that yeah. changed everything for me. Because I hated sales. I never thought of myself as a salesman. And now I do. Yeah. In fact, I blow people's minds all the time. I was like, you know, if you're having a problem with your credit card and you call customer service, guess what? That customer service person is a salesperson. Their job is selling you the company, getting you to continue to stay there. That is a form of sales. Yes. But that form of sales is different than other kinds and that's okay but if you it's how you view sales as a whole that's important for me yeah to me selling is serving yes if you're serving someone they don't feel sold to yes 
Anybody who hears that, when I say the phrase sold to, you know what I'm talking about. It feels icky. It feels terrible. It almost feels forced. And you absolutely don't want to say yes, but you almost feel compelled to do it. (laughs) It's it's terrible. Now, I've never had that problem, but I know a lot of people do. I Commercials, like, they don't work on me at all. I'm not influenced by that at all. I'm influenced by research. That's just how I'm wired. Yeah. Marketing, on the other hand, is about storytelling. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing, and the thing that most businesses, I think, get wrong, is Mm. they tell the wrong story, meaning whose story are they telling? Most businesses tell their own story. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I don't want to know that. Yeah. I don't care about that. Yeah. If I'm coming to a company and the company can be a single person, doesn't matter. If mm-hmm. I'm coming to a company because I want or and or need something, yeah. Usually means I have a problem. Yep. A problem that I don't think I can fix on my own or I think you'll do it faster than I can. Yeah. And because of that, I want to know, can you fix this problem and please tell me about other people whom you've helped? Yep. That's what I really want to know. Now, maybe after we have a relationship, if you want to tell me about the history of your company and stuff, maybe I want to know then. Yeah. But not at first. I don't care about that. Mm-hmm. I just don't. Yeah. So that, that's, that may sound kind of harsh for some people, but that's how I roll. It's like, I don't tell a lot of people history of my various companies unless they really want to know, unless they ask me about yeah. them. I'll tell them. But for the most part, it's like, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is how we can help you. That kind yeah. of stuff. This is yeah. why we're here. We're here to help you. We care about you. Yeah. Because when people feel like they're cared for as individuals, then they're not only likely to buy from you, which is what you want, but what you really want is you want them telling other people about what you're doing because yeah. that's when it takes off. Yeah. When it really starts to explode is when other people are doing your selling for you. I love it. So that's what it's all about for me. And that kind of ties in with some of the things that, you know, again, folks, you know me, I do my research ahead of time. Talking about uh, your four pillars of transformation. Mm. Those tie in very well with some things that I have done on this show before. And folks, when you hear these four pillars, I think you'll understand why. So help us understand these four pillars of transformation and how they fit in with your fierce empathy method. Yeah. So one thing that I wanted to to kind of echo uh, that you would you'd said around the sales thing, part of the reason real quick, just as an aside, the reason that I never felt, you know, very similar to you never felt like you know, sales was something I was interested in. It was because of the used car salesman, the the crazy experience you go to the mall and your mom is like, you know, walking through that area with all the vendors and they got the makeup artists and perfume. And she's like, tuck and roll, like, let's get through this place with <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that whole scenario. And the reason that my mentor had said what she said was because I had always believed in leading with creating an environment where people felt seen, heard and understood where I would ask very intentional questions to understand their pains, their problems, their stories, what worked, what hasn't worked, what have they tried, what do they want instead, all these things that were just, were kind of an extension of who I felt like I was. I was just always genuinely curious about other people, always wanting to know. Mm -hmm. And she said that 
That's what you need to teach people how to do. Yes. She said, because that is, the, that is the power of sales. The reason you're so good at sales is because you never sell. You're never selling to people. You're always trying to make sure that whatever it is that you have to provide as a solution for them is actually the best fit for them. And Absolutely. if it's not, you let them know and you point them yep. in a direction of something that can help and a resource, a training, another Thank human you. being. Yes. Right? She said, that is so rare in the corporate world. And so that's really what was kind of my launching pad of recognizing that, okay, there's so many people that don't know that they're salespeople. Like every time mm -hmm. you've, you've got kids, you remember when they were younger and you'd have to give them green beans. You're selling that kid on eating those green beans. <laughs> right. You are selling and you're selling. <laughs> that is a situation where you have to be sold too sometimes, you know, but the truth that. is all of us are in sales because ultimately it comes down to this. Um, it, it, I think persuasion gets a bad rap, but really what it is, is that if you steward it well and you're focused on serving, I love that your mantra is that success and sales starts with serving. That has got to be it. If you focus on adding value and helping the other person, you're not looking to close a deal. You're looking to find out if what you provide is the best solution for them. For anyone listening, that will change the trajectory of your sales <laughs> numbers forever because that's what people are looking for. It's like, can you help me? And do you actually care about me? And do you have authority and credibility? Like you said, John, can you share stories of other people that have done this too? Can right. you tell me what their experience was? Can you tell me what worked and what didn't work? Do you actually have those? Yeah. Um, so that was a quick little aside, but the four, four pillars of transformation. So the first thing I start with is clarity. Clarity is one of those words that a lot of people like to throw around. And I think that it's very misunderstood because people say like, I feel unclear and they don't really define what that means. Sometimes a lot of people say, I feel cloudy or I feel stuck. I got brain fog. I don't know what I'm doing. All these things are understandable. I think at various times in different seasons of life, depending on your sleep and your nutrition and all sorts of things, we all have those moments, but generally speaking, when you look at the expansive view of life, when I talk about clarity, it all comes down to one word, alignment. This is another word that people throw around all the time that I don't think very many people think intentionally about. Alignment is an impossibility unless you are aligned with something. And so most people, what they're aligning with is what culture and society and their mom and their dad and this, that, and that, what everyone else says is supposed to be. And that's the trap that I fell into. This is what the American dream is. Go out and do this and you'll, hmm. you'll win in life, right? Right. But there was no context or frame around who I wanted to be as a person. Yeah. And so clarity to me is this foundation for all of us to grab a picture, to create a picture of the version of us that we want to become. Mm -hmm. Not to say like, oh my gosh, I'm in this terrible spot. Like I, I could never get there. But no, instead to say, okay, this is who I want to be as a father, as a husband, as a wife, as an entrepreneur, as, as a friend. This is, this is how I see myself. When we do that, what the mistake that most people make, John, is they, they're, they're asking this question, what do I do to change my life? What do I do to fix my relationship? What do I do to get a business off the ground? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And it's not that those are bad questions. I just believe they're the wrong first question. <laughs> okay. I believe the best first question to ask is who do you want to become? Because when you can define that, you will gain clarity because every single day you are aligning your life and who you are and you're making adjustments and changes. You're shifting who you are to make sure you are in alignment with that vision. Right. And when you are in alignment with that vision, you're your most authentic self. It doesn't mean you're perfect. 
right? None of us are perfect, but it means you're actively taking those steps. And that's where the clarity comes because what you need mm -hmm. to do gets crystal clear when you know who you want to become. Sure. So that's number one. That's pillar number one. Thoughts yeah. on that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the way I define it, um, most entrepreneurs get a smidge, and I mean just a hint of clarity, mm. and they want to jump all the way over <laughs> to income. Mm. Now, I don't lie to them. Yeah. I say, look, it is possible to get a little bit of clarity and go to income, but it's not possible to stay there. You mm. can't sustain that. Mm. There are steps along the way that you have to do. And the way, the way it's, I try to make things simple because I understand it better that way. Yeah. To me, clarity is just taking imperfect action. Mm. That's how you get clarity, taking imperfect action. Because we learn when we fail. Yeah. We don't learn when we do it right. We learn when we fail. Yeah. So if I'm taking imperfect action, that means I'm failing along the way. But mm -hmm. those failings kind of nudge me in a slightly different direction. It, I might not be going straight. I may just be a little off, you know, just mm -hmm. a little bit. And just that one fail, it's like, mm, okay. So I make a slight adjustment and now I'm doing that. Do whatever the thing happens to be. Mm -hmm. You know, folks, I know you've heard me say this many, many times. I'll say them briefly. I won't describe them. So it's for me, it's the three C's and the three I's. Clarity leads to competence. Competence just means you're an expert in something, whatever the thing happens to be. Mm -hmm. which leads to confidence. Confidence is the outward expression of what's already happened on the inside. Clarity, competence, confidence, influence. That's when it really starts to get bigger and people start to notice. Then you get to impact and that's when it becomes astronomical. It really takes off. And then the last I is income. <laughs> See, it takes all of those to get there. There's a reason they're in that order. Mm -hmm. they, they work that way. And if you try to do it any other way than that, again, you'll get some income, but at some point it's going to shut off. Yeah. It's absolutely going to shut off. Yeah. So I love that. And I love how you, you know, simplify things, John. One of the best visual representations anyone's ever given me around this thing of clarity is that imagine you're sitting in the middle of somewhere and all you're surrounded by is this dense fog. And you sit there like, I'm trying to get clarity trying to get clarity, trying to get clarity. What we often miss is that the only way, exactly like what you just said, the only way to get clarity is you have to walk through that fog and you will be stumbling. It will be imperfect. You're going to run into stuff and you're going to be making a hole. You might fall in a hole like there. You can't see. It's so dense. But if you don't stop, if you keep moving at some point, you will exit the fog. And I think that's where people miss it. They're waiting for the fog to leave for them to get yeah. the clarity instead of saying, I got to walk through this if I want the clarity. Right. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with that more. All right. So tell us about pillar number two. Pillar number two is constructs. The reason I like the word constructs is because all of our lives have been nothing but a construction process. A lot of times you come across people and they're like, I just feel broken. Right. We, that's a, something that people talk about all the time. It's like, I just feel like I'm broken. And what I always do is I, I, I love to use this example. Is that you're born and you're given this giant Lego box full of a bunch of bunch of different pieces, but there's no legend. There's no instruction manual. And so you just start putting all these little pieces together and all this stuff. And before you know it, you have this thing that's been constructed. That's you. Mm hmm. 
there's a lot of people that look at that and say, I don't like who I am. I feel like I'm broken. Something's wrong. Something's off. Like something's up with my life. Mm. And what I always like to present to people is like, well, what if, what if you're not broken? What if you, you actually have every single thing that you need? You have all the Legos, but how you've been constructed isn't in alignment with who you want to be because you've never defined who you want to be and you've never had a legend or a map to get there because you don't know the steps to take because you're not actually clear on where you want to go. Hmm. And what if we got clear on where you want to go and we could start to take off these little pieces that are pieces of you that need to stay, but maybe they're just in the wrong place. Maybe this isn't a brokenness question. Maybe this is a deconstruction or a disassembly and reassembly reconstruction process. And so for me, constructs have to do with our belief systems, has to do with our thinking patterns, emotional intelligence, these things that we have constructed in our lives, how we see the world, our paradigm, how we're taking in information, how we're relating to other people, what's possible, what's not possible. All of these things, when you really start to redefine them and you start to look at it through a different frame, you say, oh, maybe I do have everything that I need. And all I need to do is start looking at models mm -hmm. of other people's lives. And say, okay, I know I don't want to be exactly them, but I like this part about them. They're doing that well. They've been successful in this area. So I'm going to model that. And so I'm going to put that piece here on me, right? Okay. And we start reconstructing who we are from the inside out, because that I believe is what leads to a lot of the self-sabotage and we're unable uh, or unable, I'm sorry, we're unable to actually experience the freedom, the joy, the peace, the contentment that so many of us seek. Sure. Well, you led into the third one with one of the words you just said, commitments. <laughs> commitments are fun because uh, commitments are these things that all of us have, right? We're committed to our spouse or our kids. We're committed to our job. We're committed to our clients. We're committed to um, all these other, other things. And one of the things that I think is frustrating um, in the work that that we do and not in a bad frustrating way it's just it's one of these things that comes up all the time is that people are trying to change their lives by changing their circumstances they mm. believe that if if my spouse would change if my boss would change if my kids would change if my financial situation would change like all of these external things and the interesting thing about commitments is that they have to start internally. The average person I found, John, and I think you probably agree with me, the average person is generally good at keeping their word to other people. You know, superficially, I think like on the lighter stuff, like if I say I'm going to do it, yeah, I'll do it. I'll get, I'll get it done. You know, some people might be forgetful or whatever, but what we're terrible at, we are terrible at keeping our word to ourselves. Mm. We make all of these commitments and it's, it's a different frame when you say, yeah, I'll pick up the groceries for you, or I can deliver that letter or I'll call that client back or I'll do whatever. We're great at committing to other people and following through, but yeah. time and time and time and time again, we fail to keep our word to ourselves when this, and the reason I mentioned this is because it, these are our choices and our habits. These are the actual routines that we carry day by day. These are mental mm -hmm. things that, again, the foundation is the construct, your belief system. If your belief system says this is how the world is, that means all of your habits and all of your choices and all of the actions that you're taking are actually a part of your hardwiring. I'm, I'm grateful for the science and research that's come out over the last 20 years that has proven now what the spiritual community has always understood, that if you want to change something in your life, you have to change, you have to literally change your mind. 
-hmm. And they've proven now that you can actually do that. You create new neural pathways to override your old neural pathways by formulating new habits, by doing things you don't feel like doing for long enough that they actually become a habit, right? right. Yeah. And so it's this recommitment process saying, okay, well, when I say this is a priority, when I say my health is a priority and I'm going to commit to this, but I'm choosing the cake over the chicken breast, right? Yeah. I'm lying to myself. If you're lying to yourself, if we had this in any other context, if you give your word to someone else and they don't keep it, you would say they're not a person of integrity, would you not? True. So why don't we say that about ourselves when we don't keep our word to ourselves? My suspicion is that most people don't like to face the harsh reality. They don't, they don't right. mind saying it about other people, but <laughs> saying it about yourself. It's, well, if you admit it, that mm -hmm. means you have to do something about it. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and, and, so, and perhaps there is an unwillingness to do that. Yeah. So if I don't admit it, then I don't have to change it. Right. And that's where I insert the frustration I was talking about is that it's recognizing like that when someone says, people come to you all the time, I'm sure, John, like, hey, John, I need help with this. Right. Yeah. You're like, okay, well, are you looking for support? Are you looking for solutions? Because if you want solutions, I'm going to have to ask you some questions that are probably going to make you a little uncomfortable. <laughs> right? right. I'm sure you experienced this. And they're like, no, I really want to do it. And you're like, okay, well, this, 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 and this. You and I both know if they don't face the music and own up to it, take ownership of it, they're not going to change. No. And that creates frustrations. We're wanting to help. We're wanting to empower. We're wanting to encourage. We're wanting to build up. But ultimately, we can't do the work for other people. We can do the work right. for right? Mm -hmm. And so these commitments is assessing and looking at, okay, what is useful and what is not useful about how I wake up, how I go to bed, what I put in my body, how I communicate with my wife, how I spend time with my kids, like really mm -hmm. taking time to reflect on the commitments that I do have. Are they in alignment again? with who I want to be because most often they're not because of those belief systems, the constructs that that's why these things are kind of systematic. You got to know where you want to go. Then you got to challenge yourself on everything you believe. And then you got to look at, okay, since this is what I believe, here are all the actions that I typically take. And then we get down into consistency, which is the last one, which is ultimately when you go through this process, and I know people hate the word discipline. I like intentionality more. It's a great word, but okay. discipline, whatever. Responsibility and accountability by saying, I am willing to submit myself, to dedicate myself to the process of changing my habits, my routines, my behaviors, my actions, so that ultimately I can shift my identity, what I believe about myself, what I believe about what's possible, what I believe about others, what I believe about the world, change the constructs, mm -hmm. because I have clarity on who I want to become. And when we do this, this this is literally what changes our identity as human beings. And we become something different than what we were previously. Oh yeah. Uh, the way I like to say it, David is like this. <clears throat> there is pain when it comes to change. <laughs> there just is. There's the pain of staying the same and there's the pain of change. When the pain of change becomes less than the pain of staying the same, then things change. Yeah. So it's which pain do you want? Yeah. Because it's not like your life's going to be pain-free. That's one of the things that I think we are sold from the time we are infants is mm. that life is supposed to be pain-free, that that is the, the ultimate goal. Mm. Anyone who's lived any length of time of significance and has 
a healthy head on their shoulders <laughs> knows you don't live life without pain. You're going to have some kind of pain. It's what do you do with the pain that makes the difference. Mm -hmm. And so the way I look at it is you didn't talk about this specifically, but when you talk about who do you want to become, part of what's implied with that is your purpose. Mm -hmm. Or you used the word calling earlier. I, I equate those two. Yeah. And so in order to get to purpose, most people don't want to do the very first thing. <laughs> and the first and most important part of that is pain. Mm -hmm. Pain leads to purpose. It yes. just does. Yes. There's no getting around that. Yeah. There isn't. Mm -hmm. Even if you lived what you believe to be the most perfect life and you knew from the time you were a child, you were going to be a doctor. Guess what? You still had to go to medical school. Yeah. And I have no desire. <laughs> to do that whatsoever. That is awfully painful sounding to me. I no desire to do that. But that is a level of pain that you have yeah. to endure to get to the goal, to yeah. get to the purpose. Yeah. Pain, purpose, platform. That's kind of the three pieces that I use with that, which yeah. feel free to use if you ever want to. But that kind of ties in with this idea of transformation that you're talking about to me. It, it's uh, in order to get to the clarity, there's got to be some pain involved yeah. with that. And that's part of that imperfect action I was talking about before. You yeah. know, when you take imperfect action, when you stumble, there's pain involved with that. And that's not a bad thing. It's when we don't feel the pain, that's the problem. Mm. Yeah. That's actually, that's really scary. Um, I actually I knew a young man when I was growing up who had a, a genetic disorder where he mm. could not physically feel pain. Mm. So, I mean, he could like break bones and Wow. I mean, one time he, he, he broke his arm so bad it kind of came through the skin. That's wow. the only way he knew he did it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, because somebody else noticed. Wow. He didn't feel it at all, yeah. which to me is kind of a scary way to live life. It's like pain yeah. is there for a reason. Those receptors are there for a reason to warn us, hey, you're heading down the wrong path. Yeah. Yeah. It's painful not snoozing sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah. It, it's painful when you you go to the gym and you're staying consistent, right? It's painful mm -hmm. to have hard conversations with your spouse. It's painful to let your kids learn tough lessons when you know you could just insert yourself and they wouldn't have to struggle. It's painful. Yeah. Like these are all those things that you're talking about that I love that I think, um, you know, the, the most important thing to recognize, especially in the context of relationships and revenue, why we're talking about this, I think, John, is that in order for us to attract and create, manifest, whatever you want to call it, the things that we desire inside of our lives, we have to leave behind this mindset that believes I have to force and strive and contrive and coerce and manipulate and grind and hustle and make all of this stuff happen because that's the only way that I'm going to win and recognize right. that when you create this alignment, this transformation, when you know who you are, when you're confident and you, it's like, I'm here, I got nothing to prove. I got nothing to hide. This is who I am. Take it or leave it. You will find that everything in the universe is working towards you. The relationships that you desire, the resources that you need, all of these things. And that's where people get stumped, but it all is predicated on this willingness to say, I will submit myself to the arena 
I'm willing to go into the, re the arena and be misunderstood because guess what? The other people that you want to be associated with, that you want to win next to, that you want to learn from, they ain't sitting in the stands. They're in the arena too. So if you're going to win in these different areas, you have to become something different than what you are. And that is where these relationships, you've had this, John. I know you have. We all have. They just random relationships that pop up. They seemingly random. They just pop up out of the middle of nowhere. Like, where have you been all my life? What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> but it's just the timing yeah. of how these things happen. And I truly sure. believe that it is because of our commitment to becoming better versions of ourselves every single day. And that when, when we're on that path to fulfilling that purpose or living out that calling, that those things that we don't know the full picture yet, but when you at least create a bit of a, of a vision to the best of your, or even if you, like you said, even if you don't have that vision full, you just get moving. Just get moving, get your butt in gear and get moving. Yeah. That these things start to work to your advantage and you don't, it's not, I mean, you're still gonna have to do hard things. There's gonna be times of struggle and difficulty and pain, all that stuff we talked about, but right. it's a different frame. Things start to work for you because you recognize that actually all of it is happening for you. Right. And it's a beautiful place to be at. And that's what leads to, again, this, these beautiful relationships, the networks that are just unshakable, the depth that you have with people that would be that, that are by your side, that are cheering you on, that are advocating for you, that are supporting you, that will pick you up when you fall down. Mm -hmm. Those things are actually part and parcel of what creates the excess of revenue that so many people desire, that income level. But that's like you said, that's on the tail end of all this other stuff you got to get through. And you got to have the right perspective. If you want that revenue, mm -hmm. the foundation has to be your relationship with yourself yep. and your relationship with other people. For sure. For sure. You know, it, I, I try to explain it this way. I explained it to my kids one time because they were wondering when they were much, much younger, what's it like to work for yourself? Mm -hmm. And what does it take to get there? Mm -hmm. And I explained it this way uh, with my oldest and the other two kind of got it, but they're a lot younger than him. And so I said it because I thought he'd understand this because mm -hmm. he was in middle school at the time. I said, look, could you imagine as a kindergartner doing the math you're doing right now <laughs> with with no background at all, just just walking in? And they set this book down in front of you, which you may or may not be able to read. I mean, not all kindergartners can read. So trying to do that math. Yeah. No, there's a reason that we build on all these layers to go higher and higher and higher. You don't yeah. expect a five-year-old to do calculus. <laughs> That's stupid. Yeah. So why do we expect that of ourselves? To be able to be at the top of the heap, to be making as much as somebody else who's put the work in, put the time in, put the steps in place to naturally gravitate toward that. That's unrealistic and foolish, in my opinion. I 100% agree. I heard somebody say one time, you can take anything that you teach to a kindergartner and teach it to uh, someone that's in, in postdoctoral studies. But there are very few things you can take from someone in postdoctoral studies and teach to a kindergartner. Mm. And it's really interesting through what you just said, the fact remains that 
when you take that attitude of the student and you're willing to grow and learn and expand, sure, you might want to go be that postdoctoral whatever thing, <laughs> or you might want to be, you know, the next this, that, or the other. But you got to start at kindergarten just like everybody else did. And yeah. just because you see an anomaly, right? You have that anomaly, that kindergartner that can do calculus, right? Mm -hmm. That's not the standard. That's not no. the, don't make that the rule. And that I think is the problem with so much of our society today, John, is that you see a lot of these anomalies, these people that kind of break the mold a little bit. Right. And you don't always understand why, but I believe that to some degree, there's people that have been blessed with genius in different areas. You see it a lot of times in people with autism, they are brilliant in their zone of genius, sure. but people compare. And we compare and compete and we create this unhealthy cognitive dissonance in our heads instead of recognizing, no, like if you want to get there, you can get there. You just have mm -hmm. to be willing to put in the work required and understand it's going to take time <laughs> and <Sure>. some pain. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Who's investing in you right now, David? Mm. Who's investing in me right now? Well, I would say so many people that I, I sometimes have to take a step back because I want to say I don't deserve it, but now I say I'm grateful for it. Um, I would say biggest one is my wife. Mm -hmm. I have a couple coaches and mentors, people that speak into me, Sarah Cabra, Cody Jefferson, um, Bo Harrelson, um, man, Stephen Chitty. There's so many people in just different areas. My father-in-law, David mm -hmm. Polk. Um, so many people that just invest into me that I'm so immeasurably grateful for. Um, you and this conversation, John, this has mm. been a, you know, great to just get that. to hear your heart and your perspective and sure. the way you see things as well. And so I am grateful for sure. What's the last book you read? The last book that I read was actually my third time through The Alchemist. Um, okay. I absolutely adore The Alchemist, a fantastic book. I um, I started, I read it for the first time about three years ago, and I just put it on to, to read once um, every year. Okay. Um, the other one that I would say that I just finished uh, most recently, gosh, what's the one I just, uh, $100 Million Offers by Alex Ramosi. Great read, fantastic book, absolutely just I mean, I, I feel like with the book is he's not teaching anything new or revolutionary, but how he frames things and how he actually um, breaks things down in a systematic way and actually gives yeah. practical examples. Very, very useful for entrepreneurs, especially if you're looking at at scaling beyond that seven, eight figures and you're looking at building something massive. Uh, even if that's not you, it's still really relevant for offer creation and understanding psychology and marketing, things like that. Sure. Um, and then... The other one, what's another one that I just finished reading? I, I read all the time, man. <laughs> oh, I, I do too. So don't sweat it. You gave us plenty. So Okay. <laughs> um, how are you investing in yourself or improving yourself right now? Constantly investing myself in a number of different ways. And so I always look at the different buckets. I look at relational, I look at health, and I look at you know business or financial. And so I'm looking at intentionality in each of those areas, how I'm investing in my health, and then I break that down into subcategories. So my physical health, my spiritual health, my mental health, my emotional health. I break all these things down and make sure that every single day, it's the, the, it's the eight one, eighth one of the world, as Einstein said, is compound interest, right? Mm -hmm. I believe in the power of compound interest is that focusing on that 1% better every single day 
day is a 37x return over the course of a year. And so I break these things down. I say, okay, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my kids, my relationship with myself, uh, my business, my team, my financial resource, my assets, like all these different things I'm looking at, okay, where and how every single day can I invest something into it? And even if it's not every day, how can I create a system or a process that week in and week out, nothing falls through the cracks? Um, that has come with a lot of time and imperfect practice. Um, I would encourage anyone that is wanting to implement those things, start small, start with like one thing, like one habit, one thing that you want to invest in to get better at, because it does compound. And when you do that, you start to see just these crazy results in all different areas because it's all intertwined. And John, you and I were talking about this at the beginning. Like if you want to grow your business, you want to succeed as an entrepreneur. And, 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 and even if you're not an entrepreneur, if you want to succeed in business, your success in business is directly correlated to your personal growth and your personal investment in yourself. And so yep. that is significantly huge. For me, it looks like coaches. It looks like courses. It looks like conferences. It looks like masterminds. It looks like reading books. It looks like, you know, um, talking with other people that have achieved different degrees of success in different areas. If I want to learn a subject, I'll usually try and find an expert first and I'll get all their top five books or top 10 books. I start there before I even say, Hey, you know, can I hire you or whatever? Mm -hmm. um, so constant investment. I think that investing in ourselves is the single greatest investment we could ever make. And it's not just investing time or energy. It's also investing financial resource into these areas. Sure. Yeah. What's coming up for you that you're excited about? Oh my gosh, so much, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so many things to be excited about. I think the biggest thing that I'm excited about right now um, is it's funny. I'm excited about it. I can't really give too many details. I have a project that I've been working on for the better part of a year that actually started as an idea almost three years ago that mm. um, I am rolling out as a soft launch to my private community uh, over the next month. And then I'm going to be making public by the end of the year that I'm really, really, really excited about. And it's specifically for highly empathic people. So people that identify oh. as empaths, HSP, um, the ones that have always been labeled as too nice or overly sensitive. Uh, there's been a lot of stuff that I've learned over the years in my journey that I've recognized there's very minimal research. There's not a lot of stuff about why we are the way we are and whether it's nature versus nurture. And so it's a huge project I've been working on that yeah. I'm just excited to share with the world. So stoked okay. about that. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, we're coming up close to um, wrap up time. How can folks find you? Yeah, people can find me anywhere on social media. Just Google my name and you'll find me. If you want to connect with me, hit me up on Instagram. Uh, that's usually easiest way to actually get in touch with me. I do personally respond to those messages. It's not my team or somebody else. Um, but other than that, email hello at davidwaldy.com and you can find me on any social media platform. I recently just started trying to get more on YouTube, longer form content, but uh, mm -hmm. I do a lot of stuff on Instagram, TikTok. You can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, all of them. Um, and I love connecting with people. So if you want to hit me up, shoot me a message and let's, let's jam. Okay. What is the one habit that you believe every leader needs? Mm. It's a big question, John. I don't even know if I've ever I, been I suspect you've already answered it, believe it or not. I suspect you already have. Gosh, man, that is. I think what? you just did, believe it or not. I think I you just, just answered it. Yeah. The one I, I, habit. Yeah, I I think a lot of it, and, and this is just me kind of inferring from some things that you said earlier. Go for it. You so, answer. For let, me. let me answer your question for you, because I, I think I think I may have it here. Come on. It, it sounds like it. It's a lot about. It's the process of discovering who you want to become. 
I mean, truthfully, because based upon what you've said earlier, everything revolves around that. It does. Everything. I believe, I believe every, every so, part. You know, I, I would say that even when you think you've got that figured out, there's always still some work to be done because it's going to be honed in. It's like yeah. a, uh, think of it like a funnel. When you first get it, it's the top of the funnel, which is the biggest part. Yep. And over time, through circumstances, through all different kinds of things that happen, something you read, something you hear, somebody you meet, yeah. it gets honed down, whittled away till you get to that very skinny part at the bottom. Yeah. And that's really when you're, you're in that, uh, as you mentioned before, that Gay Hendricks, that zone of genius. Yeah. You're yeah. right in there. And that's why oh. you can constantly be asking yourself the question, what does this make possible? Yes. Credit to Dan Miller for that. That's not I, my I, question. That's Dan's, so. No, I love it. And I, I would add that, you know, one of the three reasons I think that so many people get stuck and frustrated in life is because they are, they're trying to define what their version of success is, but it has to do with achievement and what they do. Mm -hmm. And you see this a lot with like Olympic athletes and high level sports people and things like that is that their definition of success isn't centered around who they are and who they want to become. It's centered around what they want to accomplish and what they want to do, <laughs> the activity. And so once they accomplish the activity and the thing they do, they get the dopamine spike, but then they go into a rapid depression because they don't know who yeah. they are anymore. Yeah. And so I think for us, in this process of constant evolution of who we are becoming, the beautiful thing is just what you said, John, is that when you are, arrive at whatever level it is that you projected in your mind, you're going to be at a completely different plane and what you think is possible about life will have completely shifted and you will have a new opportunity to redefine the next version of you that you want to become. Right. And that's where I believe it's this perpetual growth and expansion. But I would add one other thing probably on top of that. You said the one habit. Yes, getting practicing daily, visualizing who you want to become. And, and this kind of dovetails is the habit of investing. Mm -hmm. Is that I read a book called um The Wealth Mindset by Neville Goddard. Fantastic read. And it's a metaphysical approach to a lot of the biblical precedents that evangelical Christianity has brought forward in America and a lot of, you know, stuff like that. But he has a very different frame that he approaches it. And he talks about how most people in life we're spending, we spend time with friends, we spend time doing whatever we spend, we spend, we spend, we spend, we spend. He said, what if right. every single day you focused instead on investing every single moment, every interaction, every opportunity, every dollar, what if all of it was an investment that you had an expectation that those seeds you were planting would be returning a harvest one day. Mm -hmm. And that habit of investing in every single thing that I do, I'm not perfect at it. I do. I, I get lazy. I procrastinate. I do stupid stuff. I don't do my work sometimes. <laughs> like I'm not perfect at it, but that is a conscious effort that I have done long enough to where now it does feel like a habit. I don't have to yeah. try as hard to do it because early on, like you said, you have to submit to the pain and difficulty and frustration and lack of desire and go do the thing long enough for it to shift your identity and literally change the neural pathways in your brain. Yep, for sure. All right, let's get to our final four so we can wrap up for everybody. Are you ready? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All, right, here's All right, here's question one. Why did God create David? Why did God create David? It's mm, a beautiful question. I would say God created David as an expression of his love to spread to other people. Okay. Question two, what are you doing, reading, or listening to right now that's helping you grow? Mm. What I'm doing right now, um, reading or listening to. 
I would say what I'm doing right now that's helping me grow is I'm taking a lot of messy and perfect action. This okay. idea, this dream that I've had, um, it's a mm -hmm. whole new project. It's new terrain. I've never gone this, down this road before. And it's just a bunch of imperfect action. And I've fallen in love with that process because I've done it enough now to know that mm -hmm. you just have to do it. Um, okay. So that's probably teaching me the most right now. It's a whole new sector that I've never, never um, gone down before. Gotcha. What yeah. do you do for fun? Oh my gosh. I hunt, I fish, I jump on the trampoline with my kids. I roll around on the floor, uh, love to cook. We love camping. We love traveling. Um, love being outdoors. I mean, really most of what I do is with my hands playing, getting dirty. Like that's it. Mm -hmm. Like with my kids or, or by myself sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. And last question. What are you most grateful for? Oh my gosh. I'm most grateful. It's a very personal question, but I'll answer it. Um, okay. I'm most, I'm most grateful for, for Jesus in my life. That is the thing that I'm most grateful for amongst anything else. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. Well, listen, David, I really want to thank you for your time today. I know it is your most precious resource because it's not renewable. Mm -hmm. And so I am very grateful that you chose to invest some of your time in our listeners today. So thank you for that. I'm honored, John. Thank you as well. I say the exact same thing for you. Thank you for allowing, allowing me to be here and for honoring me with your time as well. And I hope that this blesses and serves people well. Oh, I know it will. And thank you to you viewers and listeners. As always, I am so thrilled and thankful for each and every one of you investing that time because it makes a difference. It encourages me, makes me want to continue to do more for you. And you are the reason that I do this. Because if it wasn't for you guys, I wouldn't. Trust me, I've got other things I could be doing. <laughs> so thanks to all of you. Thanks for being here. We'll talk to you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Relationships and Revenue. I'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Two ways you can do that are to give us a rate and review and or connect with me on social media. You can find me at John Hewlin. Thanks again for listening. And remember... Passion gets you started. Purpose keeps you going. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Bye.